Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello. Welcome to our midweek Bible study. Dr. Rick Hunter and myself, uh, Patrick, you know me from most Sundays and Mondays at our safe harbor. want to say a word first to our brothers and sisters in Africa. Uh, Epaphras Malale, and Epaphras, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, has been part of our work for two, uh, two years, really, taking some of our videos and notes and helping train ministers there. And now we're hearing that there are quite a few ministers in several nations there, five or six I think he named, that are using this uh, as part of their training and teaching. And they've asked us if we could slow down our talking. And when you're asking me to slow down talking, that's, that's a lot. But we're going to try. And Rick's going to try. Because they're using this and they want the translators to be able to translate what we're saying. And that's a, that's a fair request. That's a fair request. We welcome you. We consider you our brothers and sisters in Christ already. We can't wait to meet you. And in fact, if we can get the funds together, we do plan to send me over there for two weeks, maybe a bit more, uh, so I can meet as many people as possible. So thank you for all of you who support by uh, your prayers, by your financial gifts, and by subscribing, liking, and sharing this. It means, evidently, a great deal to people around the world that we didn't even know. So, we're in Mark 9.30 today. Um, I'm going to start reading, but I may stop uh, frequently, and you jump in and stop me anytime you want to. All right? This is fun. They left that place, and he had just tossed out a demon that his apostles were not able to toss out. And he said, this kind only comes out through prayer. Other versions say through prayer and fasting, indicating Jesus also believed in rankings of demons, that some were harder than others to displace. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Uh, The book of Mark, to me, is fascinating. I used to be a therapist uh, before going on into neuroscience. And so I pick up on emotional words and emotional tone. Mark has more of that than Matthew, Luke, and John do. Uh, And I really believe it is because it is originally sourced, of course, with the Holy Spirit's help, through Peter. And Peter was emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, You see a couple of things in Mark emphasized that we tend not to see. But I think they're supposed to be emphasized. One is the number of times Mark, uh, rather Jesus tries to get away and have private time, either by himself or with his friends. A lot of people wonder if there's any place in the church for introverts. And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. And introverts don't have to become extroverts. 
if you need time away, take your time away. Now, this particular time was he wanted to teach his disciples something. And he phrases it, uh, the, the son of man. Now, that's an interesting phrase. And we've not even talked about unpacking that. But generally, if I'm understanding this correctly, this wasn't a big religious title. This was more like, you know, I am one of you. You know, I'm, I am this guy. I'm the promised one of God, but I'm in human flesh. And he says, I'll be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and after three days he will rise. And it's verse 32 that made me stop. Two things. One, they did not understand what he meant. I get that. I, I get that. I, how, how could they understand what he meant? He'd never, they'd never gone to vacation Bible school. They'd never gone to Sunday school. They didn't have a copy of the Bible in their hands. But the second part, they were afraid to ask him about it. You can read a lot of the end of this, but I'm just going to put it to you. I'm, I'm going to head all the way around to the end, if I may. It's not because Jesus was going to be mad at him, although he could be. Uh, if, if they you know, tried to mess with him, we've already seen one of those. I really believe it's because we're, I think it's connected to the next passage, the next little paragraph. We hate to admit we don't understand something. Especially if we're in a group of men. We want, it's always a competition. I've got uh, three grandsons that live locally. They are like Jacob and Esau in that they were competing in the womb. They're not triplets or twins. But sports, knowledge, whatever. And and we had one son and one daughter. our son, when he was just a, a little boy, my wife came to me and she said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yes. She goes, why do little boys know everything in the world and are confident about it? And I said, yeah, that's just the guys. You know, they're just guys. So my plea to guys is to pull back and don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask for directions. I've never been one of those that didn't ask for directions. I'll pull over quick. Uh, quickly, sorry those of you who want the adverb. Uh, we need to be people that ask questions. And some people in religious settings feel like they can't. But if they'd asked, I don't think they'd be afraid anymore. Yeah. The, um, part of the, the challenge, um, and I believe part of what makes this ministry what we're trying to let God do in this ministry is to speak and to try to keep um, the isms out of it and the personal things out of it because they are there, but to give God's word the, the shine and the glory that it needs so that, that it can take the person on the journey and not my baggage with it, yes. and which means that all of us uh, you that are listening, include each one, every time that you go to the truth and try to bring it through, you have to be aware of your own baggage and keep fighting with that as you let God steer. And, and we all do it. So it, it, you don't beat yourself up and go down the hill with it. Just understand, okay, this is the way I am. Or either I've been brought up in a faith tradition. And people who are brought up in the faith tradition many times, many times don't realize that that baggage stays with them. Mm -hmm. Although they start freeing themselves up, they're freed up in the Lord 
to go forward. That baggage stays with them. It does not stop them, but many times it slows down the ability to think. Now, uh, and if I can add something to, to this case, I think kind of part of what's going on, because I had the same notes when I, when I woke up in the middle of the night and started looking at that verse, started writing it down, was the fact that I believe that some of what's going on is that the disciples were starting to see what they were seeing was starting to register in their psyche to the point where they're realizing yep. we, this is really different because other people, see, they seen other people were healing. There were other healings yes. of stuff going on. So that part, they knew something was different, but it, that wasn't totally foreign. And at some point, we probably need to dig into that as opposed to what is going on today when people claim they hear as a separate aside in the class. But, but they knew something was different. And, I, and part of it may have been the fact that they were, if they said anything or asked, they were afraid that what they thought, what they had learned to be the Savior to be about was not going to be what the Savior was about. Well, and they, yeah, ex, I'm sorry, I don't mean, yeah. I'm just saying that's that's excellent yeah. point because these other people aren't, they're walking around triumphant. Mm -hmm. You know, the old triumphal, you know, that I, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. And Jesus here says, men are going to get me and kill me, but I'll be back. Mm -hmm. That's, that would scare me. I mean, what do you ask? Oh, it's, um, they're, they're, I think that, that in the back of their, they're starting to come to realize that, that this is something different. We don't know what it is. But this thing of Moses and his teaching and all of that, I mean, that's where we hung our hat at. Mm -hmm. And so they were becoming aware. And I, and I think it's just like cautious, just like when we run into something that we're not sure of. Hopefully, you at least pump the brakes a little to kind of get a sense of what's going on in front of you. And of course, here, uh, um, they did that. But then when they come out the box, they go right, left. Uh, which is which is <laughs> which is what we have learned to expect when they come out and see and they know they make a step forward and it's like they say okay and then in the next pericope the next passage they take two steps back but then they jump forward again. Well, and I can remember it, it was a process, was not an event, although there were events along the way. And you've had the same experience, if I understand correctly, where I realized my faith was based in a church system that had been handed to me, full born. Uh, I, I had nothing to figure out. I had to just, as the song says, trust and obey. Uh, and it, when I began to see that the foundation was cracked and there were some real issues with this, um, I became afraid. Whenever I started reading scripture, trying to get this, these filters off my eyes and just see what it really said, it did scare me. Because I think, have I wasted my life? What do I believe now? You know, have I lost everything? Or is there something I can still hold on to? Wow. Yeah. Um, these men had invested themselves in this rabbi who now says he's going to die. Yeah. That's terrifying. When you um, live a, a, a big portion of your life, um, whatever that, and that's a different amount of time for everyone and what they want to do. And you have boundaries that are there. And then all of us, not all of a sudden, as you start coming to realize, 
those boundaries don't have to be there or that boundary shouldn't be there at all. Um, you start getting, some people, I know I did, it, it, you have to get used to being able to navigate the space again because you're not sure where the cliff is. You're not sure where the, the, the drop off to the bank is. You're not sure where the badlands are. Uh, um, because you were always told where they were, you just assumed where they were. Um, uh, as as one preacher wrote a long time ago, you know, when they used to play down south, my um, mom said, "Don't ever go beyond the thicket. Don't go beyond right. what we can see. Don't go back there." And, uh, and lo and behold, somewhere now he went beyond the thicket, and we're like, well, "Wait a minute! You know, this is this this is we need to be out here, you know, and not in there." But boundaries, and most people kind of live within a certain boundaries. That's why they get comfortable with certain friends, certain places, and things like that. And then this particular boundary that we're in now, we're talking about heaven. We're talking about eternity. Um, we're talking about uh, the battle with Satan that we all have. We're talking about that that comes back into play. And so people get you you should get a little nervous with it because that lets you know, as James Cone would say, that lets you know that you're understanding that you're in God's territory and you're not in something that you create. Um, but once you get in it and get used to the space, then you can say, I move. Then the problem becomes everybody who's not in that space, who's still in your close friendships yes. and yeah. what they do or what, you know, you normally react to them with more grace and understanding because you know what the cost is to go through the journey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And how many times in my life I have been accused of leaving the faith when all I was doing was getting closer to Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it's just, but egos are coming to the fore here. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, just stated this way, it looks like the apostles are a bunch of middle school boys. But I believe that we ought to really understand that it, this is a problem for all men everywhere. The measuring of ourselves against a standard. Now women do this too. And sadly, women are very often held up to an impossible standard you know, of size, shape, weight, height, hair, you know, all the other. Men are generally not held to that standard. They hold themselves in it internally. We don't talk about it that much. We don't have magazines. I don't think we see a lot of magazines or newspaper articles. Guys, how to make your face look pretty. You know, we don't see that. But we end up trying to buy the biggest boat. Or we try to catch the biggest fish. Or I'm the best hunter. Or I earn more than those people do. Or I have a better roof on my house than they. We do this, but we generally do it inside. But every now and then, you get a group of um, who's the greatest at basketball, or who's the greatest at football, or who's. And they're talking about themselves. And, and as a guy now in his 60s, I see a lot of guys in their 40s find out they're not as good as they thought they were because mm -hmm. they have to take uh, medication now. They're too sore from trying to play. But this is a human 
thing. It's not insulting to the, the apostles at all, disciples at all. It's just, so Jesus sits them down. When Remember back then, you sat down to teach as a rule. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12. So he's originally disciples back up here in 30, 31, 32. Now he's just bringing the 12 and says, anyone who must be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Two massive things we've got to deal with here, uh, Rick. And I know you're well prepared uh, through your study. It is, it is hard for us to understand that serving makes you the greatest. But if we think of someone like Mother Teresa, who gave her life to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, uh, we look upon her with awe. And yet, none of us would want to live like she lived in that heat and squalor and smells. And, but by being a servant, she became great. Uh, in my life, I know of a counselor who has since gone on to Jesus, who um, very gently helped everybody, never would accept any adoration. In fact, you could be talking to him out somewhere in a lobby or in a store, and he says something that really helps you, and you're thinking, wow, that's amazing, and turn around and he's gone. He didn't stay, stay around to be thanked or anything. He just moved on. It is that the wandering servant you know, the suffering servant, that's a picture of our Christ. And he calls us to do that. Um, as I've told my kids when we were growing up, uh, when they were growing up, I said, if you go into a store and you need to buy something, well, then you need to buy something. But your job in the store is to bless somebody before you leave. Help somebody, encourage somebody, lift a burden, smile at somebody. Mm-hmm. And I still do that to this very day. As I'm walking in a store, I'll be th- I, I'm, I'm actually hunting. Now, your last name's Hunter. I'm hunting, saying, all right, who am I here to bless while I get what I'm supposed to get? And then the second, uh, I like the fact that he took a little child, which shows, once again, he didn't get away. People kept, this is always moving. We always think of paintings. You know, he's sitting there. They're the 12, desert and rocks. People are moving. They're coming in and out of this. They're walking. They're seeing. They're walking over out of curiosity. And then he puts it this way, 37. Whoever welcomes one of them welcomes me, but who welcomes me is really welcoming my father. What we do in the daily course of life, saying, hey, Rick, would you like a cup of coffee? Are you doing all right? You want to have a seat over here? We are doing that to God. Because we are made in God's image. We are God's children. Uh, you have children. I got to meet one of your granddaughters last Sunday. Mm-hmm. It was several Sundays ago, but you know, for you guys. Uh, but she was remarkable. Intelligent, poised, really dedicated and focused. I mean, I just absolutely loved meeting her. And you know anybody who would do something for her, to you, it's like they did it to you. And you'll be forever grateful. 
And so I, I, I just challenge people. We always want to do a great thing. You know, we want, to, we want to save everybody in Texas. We want to save everybody in Tanzania. We want to feed all the poor. Okay, but what are you doing now with what you've got? Those little acts of kindnesses. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, that's why I'm saying, come on in. You fed me, you clothed me, you visited me. All of these acts of service. I've done about 90% of the talking, and that's not fair. <laughs> do you have more you want to put in there, or do you want to start reading the next section? The, um, the greatest, um, which this one is talking about, who, who is the greatest, the, um, and especially for the audience, as, as we're coming into it, if you've been following along, you remember a couple of weeks back, we were up on the tr- Mount of Transfiguration. Everything yes. went on there. They came down. Peter, James, and John were there with him. Now when they come down, there's some indication as they're going along, and, and, the, and Jesus is, is not a way away, but he's just enough away for them to feel comfortable of saying things, <laughs> just like when your kids are around you and stuff. Uh, you know they're doing something over there in the corner, but they stay just far enough away from you for them to feel comfortable mm-hmm. to know. And so they're talking about it. And, uh, and there's, so there's, there's a lot of understanding that they're saying, okay, well, you three think you're different from us. That's fair. And, um, and you're really not, uh, um, you know, because we had to deal with the, uh, the, the paralytic. We had to deal with the little boy and the father. We had to deal with all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they didn't see what happened on the mountain. They only may have heard of it. And so there, there's some sense that that was a tension that was going on. Okay, well, who's greatest? And then they really, the disciples really kind of leaned in on Jesus. We really want you to tell us, you know, who's the, the greatest. They're leaning in mm-hmm. on him, not realizing fully yet that that Jesus does what he wants to do on his schedule. And, well, and the, didn't, didn't one of their mothers come and ask and him ask. directly, would you let my boy sit on your left and right hand? Exactly. He said, you, you, have, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> you know? um, and so they, they, they get in, into that. Uh, um, and then the other part out of it is, is that Jesus then brings, gets the little child. And so there's some thinking that they may be around Peter's place, Peter's house, mm-hmm. somewhere around there, maybe. And if so, they're looking at, he's looking at his child when he scoops him up, and just what you said. Uh, um, you know, and, oh, and thank you for giving Sierra a shout-out. She will love that. Well, uh, her and her following that she's building she's on all the other okay. stuff like that. So, yeah, so she, she's a, a, just a great, great child. Yes, she uh, is. Um, the part, the important part of it of this is that, um, or at least to me as I understand it, you know, is that when they when they get to this, the little he picked up a child, but he was literally talking about childlike faith, and so by the little child he was talking about those that are coming to faith, just like they were those that are learning it. Those that are coming into faith, make sure that you take care of them. Make sure that you treat them right. Make sure that you love them. Make sure that that they know that serving one another is what the foundation of this faith is all about. And and that's where he kind of pushes them and leaves them right, right in there. Which, you know, Patrick, is really important 
when you stop to think what many faith traditions do to people inside those faith traditions if in fact they don't agree with certain things that they believe or walk within their faith yep. or testimony. Um, the way they ostracize, the way they uh, attack. It's a shame. Uh, it's a shame-based uh, system. Exactly. Uh, um, the way they, they mock or deride uh, um, or in cases uh, <laughs> uh, untruths come up or, or literally they begin um, psychological attacks or backroom attacks and stuff like that. When Jesus said that, that, that you take care of the ones that are coming here, you love them, and we act every way but like that, and that should be a flag right there that there's a problem going on right here. Um, and then there's one other thing I would like to, to bring in, and it was right sure. at the very beginning, um, because I don't think we've, I, don't, I couldn't remember if we really grabbed it in the last lesson, but if I can go back, because it kind of ties in here. When um, back at about verse um, 26, well, yeah, 25, the end of 25, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him uh, and enter him no more. Then verse 26, then the spirit cried out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him uh, and he became as dead, uh, verse number 26, so that many said he is dead. 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. There's a picture that's being shown here, and that is that whatever Satan touches is being pulled apart in some way, whether it's psychologically, whether it's actually physically, um, whether um, it's socially, whether it's familiar structure, as Satan, anytime Satan starts engaging something, starts pulling it apart. It, it's convulsed. It's being right. pulled apart. When Jesus enters that, when Jesus enters into a situation, he's starting to put back together again. That's the picture that, that, that we're going to see here, that when Christ comes in, he's starting to put something back together um, uh, again, and that's significantly important because this kind of formula shows up almost every time it's around. And, and so uh, Jesus says, they thought the boy was dead when he convulsed, and Jesus said no, and touched him, and he got up. All right? And that's the thing of faith. And we realize that when Christ comes into our life, he, he rejuvenates, he restores, he renews hope. Um, um, doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with challenges and struggles and things that happen, but inside the ability to go on, the ability to see it anew again, the ability to breathe again, uh, the ability to want to smile again, that he's putting all that together again, and then in bringing the child to them, he's reminding them, you know, that this is where you started, this is where you're going to end, you know, end, uh, take care of, of this treasure, because the treasure's on the inside of us. Very well said. Um, as I've always said, Satan is not a creator. He's never created anything. What he does is bring disorder uh, to what is there. If you're interested more in this particular interaction between Jesus and a child and the 12, you can read about it in Matthew 18, and that's at greater length. And Jesus has some of the harshest language that he ever uses is in Matthew 18. It compares, in my mind, to the Olivet Discourse in chapter 24, correct? Um, where he goes after the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
But I, this is where he says, if you, if you mess with the child, it'd be better for you to be tied in a sack and thrown into the sea and drowned. It'd be better for you to gouge out your eyes and cut your hands off than to mess with the child. And I think we need to be very, very careful about the way we raise our children and the, the forces that we allow to shape them. Um, I'm not going to go down that path today because we're not doing issues, we're doing stories. But if your child is being taught in school that basic biology is wrong and that you, they're not a little boy or a little girl, but any of these hundred things in between, you need to step in and you need to protect the child. Scripture says people will raise up to destroy the children. We all know of people who have sent their kids to university who have nearly bankrupted themselves to pay for it and put the kid in debt. And for them to only come out with two things. One, no marketable skill. And two, a hatred and despising of the parents who sent them there because they've been taught that the parents are evil. Be very, very careful who gets to influence your child. And be very, very careful if it's you that's messing up the kid. You know, maybe there's a divorce and you're using the kids as proxies. No. Read Matthew 18 and shudder a bit. Jesus meant what he said. You protect the children. Um, in fact, he says in, in Matthew 18 that they're, they are always before the throne of heaven. God hears them first. Um, would you like to read further from 38 on? But, uh, beginning of verse number 38. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does, he does not follow us. But, but Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is in our, is in our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And, and this will be the last, we only got about five or six minutes left, so this okay. will be our last passage. Okay. Let you go for it. This, this, this is powerful. Oh, yeah. And especially in what we were talking, just leading into, this is as if this text actually came out as one big picture in the beginning. Uh, um, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Uh, if anything... Uh, helps to speak to some of the damage that we've done to the name of Christ and his movement by by segmenting up. Or I could even say, I don't know if just the segmenting up is an issue as much as the fact of what we've damned in that process and who we've damned in that process. Uh, if, if, we, if we move in a group that's here and there's another group over there, and both of them love the Lord and moving together, the Lord said, then make sure you keep going together, love together, work together. And, um, and that is, that's important. It, it, because it is. I'm going to check to see if they're still hearing you because all of a sudden your voice went out. Uh, are we hearing them? Good. All right. Sorry. Okay. Continue. No worries because I was <laughs> asking myself <laughs> the same thing. That's important. Uh, um, because and, and when he when he says here that we found one that was not with us, yeah. and Jesus said, "But if he's doing this in my name, 
He's not speaking against me. And you, you are not the savior I am. You do not determine who is my child and what they're doing. Exactly. I, I do. Yeah. And that's powerful oh, yeah. because almost we do the exact opposite. Almost we segment up and then say, don't deal with them over there because they're, they're not right. Instead of saying, do they love the Lord? Um, are they showing the love of God? And then letting... And if God needs if God needs to sort this out in his economy, then God sorts it out. We move on the path forward in love. And that's where we lose most of our energy in serving people and and making a difference because we're we tend to argue a lot across faith traditions and not enough at changing situations for good, you know, and uh, and applying energy and support and understanding and, and doing things the way that we need to, to do. And that is strategically, we, we literally do try to do, we do a disservice to your name God when we do that. Now we know why we do it and we know why people are afraid think, not to do it. Yeah, we're, we think we're doing it to be faithful, mm-hmm. but we're doing the exact opposite of what he told us to do. It's amazing. And again, I think Satan... Once again, twisting it. Um, it's kind of like in Matthew 7. When people go up to Jesus on the last day and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do mighty works? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I never even knew you. He can say that. We can't. We can't look at Catholics, Methodists, Episcopalians and say, they're wrong. What we can say is, God loves them. God loves us. Let's just live our lives um, trying to be like Jesus. And he will decide at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love this. Even a cup of cooled water. That, he will never forget that at all. Uh, and so it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't. Well, uh, anything you've got before we close out this particular passage? I think that um, it, it can't be said enough that, that in this passage that we just we got finished with that. Jesus is really attacking sectarianism. He's really yes, he is. doing that. And, and I, who's the greatest yeah, among us? And, and we have, and I, and I don't want the audience to, to miss that, miss that point. Because if you do, you miss one of your greatest avenues of doing good for others. You see, we, we think that's a, a doctrinal thing and, and you argue that stuff out in church. But this has everything to do with the way you treat and go about your daily life, which impacts how you move through your day for Christ, how Christ, how Christ move, how you move with Christ to that day. And then how you see and allow things to happen through you and how God impacts because it changes your lens. You know, and uh, and that's strategically important because they're, they're grappling with it here, which lets us know this this is a human problem. Uh, uh, and, and we decided that this didn't happen by God. Well, if you see something happening that is good for God, why can't we give God the glory, right. you know, and keep it moving? Exactly. Know, like that. that sounds good. We will end on that phrase. We look forward to seeing you next week. Keep us in your prayers. Thank you for all of you who support us and who have been uh, praying for us through this journey. And we've got a few more chapters to go before we're done with Mark. So stick with us. Be at peace.